Hello, lovely folks. Here we are, Sinachera, Quantum Agriculture, our Change Your Soil, Change Your Life podcast. And I want to thank my friend Wayne Rankin, who I'm sitting next to, for giving us that name for this podcast. So welcome, Wayne. Tell me something about your farming history. Thanks, Shavri. I um been always passionate about growing vegetables since I was young young lad. Used to grow my own lettuce and beans and things in the garden and get much satisfaction out of eating fresh produce out of the uh, garden. So I have just grown with that and um, recognised how important that is in my life and expanding on that and sharing with others um, that experience. So um, with my place, Brogas Pass, which is in Atherton Tablelands, I uh, regularly hold workshops and have people like um, Organic Experience Tours come onto my place uh, to see some practical examples of how they're able to do it in their own place. Great. And um, you're also in a, in a major biodynamic community up there in far northern Queensland. Yes, we've got a beautiful community of like-minded people. It's um, When we get together, it's just like being at a, a family banquet. We we have um, a plate to share that everybody brings, and um, it's one of the, the best meals you can have because we're all thinking the same way, that it's all about food. And um, We've got about 120 active members who regularly um, come together for a, an event or field day probably once a month. It's, um, it's really great to, to get together and, and share our stories, go into um, people's places and see how they're doing it, um, share the uh, the bad experiences along with the good experiences so we can all learn and, and, um, and grow from that. So what's your favourite thing to grow? My favourite thing to grow? Well, I, I certainly love growing the kale and, and um, some of my lettuces and, and, and um, enjoy my leafy greens. Um, dragon fruits is another thing that I'm very passionate about. Myself and my kids, uh, when we pick one that's um, usually a... a third equal share we have to be divided up equally because it's uh, they're so nice um i'm into growing all sorts of fruits um, you grow jackfruit too i've got a tree but i i it hasn't fruited i i tend to to grow more of the things like um, peaches nectarines uh, tropical apples um yeah there's more, more of my favorites um the bananas i love my bananas and um custard apples as I said, the dragon fruit. Um, yeah, they're probably the major ones. What's the little red one too? Not dragon fruit. Um, I've had up there. You had a bush. Brazilian cherry. Oh, maybe I don't remember. I just I just know when you do jackfruit because somebody gave me some. Luckily, I went on Google and looked it up. <laughs> I wore gloves. because uh, of the and spread newspaper out. The lactose. Yeah, the lactose that comes out is like glue, you know. I love the taste of it. I was amazed how many different sorts of um, jackfruit there are, the crunchy ones and the... Uh, and durian's the same thing as jackfruit, or is it slightly different? Completely different. Completely different. Oh, wow. They say if you've... Um, there's a saying when the, uh, when the durians come down, the skirts go up, it's an aphrodisiac. Oh, wow. <laughs> For the male or the female? Uh, I'm not sure. They, uh, I think it works both ways. I've heard that about gin. <laughs> <laughs> you probably say that about a lot of alcohol. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> so, are, um, would you? Are, do you do commercial farming? I am a support, supplier to the uh, local uh, organic and biodynamic farmers co-op. 
So I supply to uh, for myself and any excess um, I try and um, push through the co-op and, and share with others. I, I certainly also like having people come onto my place and, and supply them as well. So, Do you have um pick your own or...? No, I, I think you've got to be careful with that because um, people probably don't have the same understanding that yep. you as a grower and, and making sure you've got enough for next time as well. You That's know. right. <laughs> well, I don't like that one. Yeah. <laughs> no. But it's uh, certainly nice to have people um, come along and, and have an experience of, of seeing how it grows and to do other have other experiences. I do uh, fermented food workshops, and the one that I really love sharing with people is the edible weeds workshop. So, um, expanding people's knowledge around that, where we can take a walk around the garden and and um, and give them a practical example of what they can eat and um, what it's good for, and and um, look at weeds in a completely different viewpoint instead of being public enemy number one that they uh, can possibly approach them as a, a great friend and, and something of great benefit. Well, they do indicate deficiencies in the soil too. Absolutely, but sometimes you need to start just with the basics and yeah. and um, allow a window there for people to uh, take it further from that Yeah, in so many ways. I've been um, teaching fermenting weeds fertilizers and that's very popular Very, and it's easy um, although in listening to Clochex planning calendar, now I'm getting this, oh, maybe I set up something two years down the road I didn't realize. Do you know what I mean? Even though it might not contain the seed through the fermentation, it could contain the energy pattern. Uh-huh. Ah. You know, like in this area, there's oh, a lot of phosphorus deficiencies, as well as sulfur. We know that's phosphorus and zinc. And there's this thing called tobacco weed. Yes. That grows everywhere around here. So I started fermenting the tobacco weed and putting it out as a phosphorus zinc source. And it's working. Nice. It shows up in the soil test as working. You know, and you can take, say, what they call Salvation Jane, Patterson's Curse, with its little purple flowers. Because sometimes we'll go and see maybe hundreds of acres, all caused by overgrazing. Everything in there. And those purple flowers are indicators of copper deficiency. Yes. Obviously, purple. Yes. And... So you ferment out the Salvation Jane, Patterson's Curse, and put it back on that field. And um, Kim Green's has gone for four years. Nice. Yeah. Of course, you could have put a dose of copper out there, but the plant's there. And that's what it's doing. It's bringing up copper from deep below and and distributing it. So it's another ferment. Turn nice. you on to ferments, brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I would teach you how to make doses too. Sounds great. So, what would you what What do you think your greatest gift to farmers is? You <laughs> now you're pushing me. <laughs> An openness to to uh, to change and 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 my sharing of, of my experiences. I, I guess um, when I talk from the heart about my experiences, um, that's what works the best for me is, is, is um, instead of talking out there about someone else's experiences, it's, it's, it really comes back to what works for me and, and what I've gone through and around that um, and hoping to inspire others um, with, with some of the mistakes and um, growth that I've, that I've had along the way. Excellent. Yeah, I, um, I like to um, work with people saying how it, change starts in your own backyard and um, and promote 
what changes are, have occurred in my own backyard and, and give people an, a tour and an, an experience around that. So, yeah, hopefully they can be inspired to take, um, take the challenge on for their place and, and for their food. Yep. Do you actively use biodynamics? Yes, I'm regularly um, use biodynamics. I also have a, a business called Proper Earth. Um, where I uh, consult to people um, around basic soil analysis um, and putting out biodynamic preparations. So I offer a service of, of stirring and spraying uh, biodynamic preparations on their place, um, along with some other biological fertilisers that I create myself um, mm-hmm. based on um, some of the mass humus biofert um, stuff. And... Um, I've had a, a great change with my father, who's 88, and who has got 76 acres not far up the road. He's, um, and I asked him to give me his, his worst paddock um, of weeds, and it was overgrown with weeds and stuff as he saw it. And I've sprayed um, biological fertilizer and biodynamics out on it, just um, just one spray. And a season later, that you could tell it was just shining, and um, that was a, that was really great because it stood out amongst from these other paddocks and. The biggest indicator to me was seeing the ibis and the the brolgas and all the bird life coming in only to that paddock, and um, and obviously those those type of birds are going into the um, into the soil and, and, and eating the biology and worms and and uh, insects and things, and and um, that was the best indicator to me of what was happening and and a, a huge change that had taken place. And um, from my experience, that's what's needed for a lot of farmers. They don't want to just hear about it; they want to see it, and if um, people think about it too much with biodynamics. Sometimes it's a bit too challenging for them. So I suggest that they have an experience with it and see what they like, see the changes that happen. And if they like to do that, we'll take it further. But just take little steps. Um, and so, who, where do you purchase your biodynamic preps from? Well, with our group um, in Far North Queensland, we've um, make our own preparations. Um, I I do some myself. I do my cow, cow horn silica. Um, my f- nettle preparation um, I do casuarina tea um, and I do some 500 cow horn manure but um, I'm also very much involved with the, the local group and um, I'm regularly in the in the pit um, at the Adam Collins's place where we um, do most of the preps there and I'm putting down 2,000 horns along with everybody else that's gone there for the day because it's um, a beautiful gathering of, of people coming together to uh, to share that experience. Um, so yeah, we put down and pull up around two thousand horns every year, and from that we're um, we've got lots of five hundred and and um, and the other preparations as needed. But it's um, been beautiful to work in doing um, instead of stinging nettle, making the biodynamic preparation. We're using uh, stinging tree. So that's come directly mm-hmm. from Hugh um, Hugh's advice around that, and um, and it's a great one because it's it's what's um, available in our local area, what grows in the rainforest and is regenerating the rainforest in its own way, um, and it's 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 a a great one to recognise that we're using what's right for our soil and our conditions and our climate. Well, as Steiner said, even in Australia, you remember in the agriculture lecture, he mentioned Australia as being a place that people would figure out what was good for the preparations from here. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. it's great. That's that's actually. Something I'm very passionate about is, is working more around that because there's so much that's untouched around in that realm. That's what's brought me to the uh, to the course here in, in so many ways is, is to expand my gestures of plants 
and the understanding that are around that. Mm. Well, I want to make sure at one thirty you're there because plant gestures is then. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I told you this year we got to add plant gestures back in, you know, to the course. Well, as I yeah. told you, that's what I'm coming for. You yeah. better have it there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you have manuals with it from the past. Um, it's some some okay. stuff. Good. Yeah. I want to make sure. Uh, arm you in any way we can. <laughs> Thanks. I love your support. <laughs> yeah. Well, we love you. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to teach you how to make doses. Nice. <laughs> Any time now. So, um, what's your highest moment in farming? Most exhilarating or inspiring? I guess it's when people come out of my place and they can feel the change. It's not so much of just seeing change that they they recognise the the great energy that's given out um, with my property and and. Um, that says it all to me because I could have someone who's blind come onto there and and, and feel, feel it, it because it's an energetic uh, level and uh, that means so much to me. So that's probably one of my prouder moments is to, to have that um, regularly occurring. And your most challenging? I guess that's to do around some of the other rats rabbits and ah rodents rodents that are uh, coming through and, and eating some of my um produce uh, i recently planted a lot of rainforest trees um and they've all been chewed off so <gasps> we put a lot of work in into doing that and to to go backwards with that i suppose is, is just um part can you of the put challenge. rings around them does that help elastic does it protect them um anywhere? you can put tree protectors around there but if, you know when you're talking about 200 trees it's um yeah it's 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 a cost and and I guess um, it's something that if you don't sort out the, the rabbits once you've got the trees up and those came off you've still got them possibly ring barking and killing the trees anyway so mm. um, those are have such you a, tried peppering I haven't this has only just occurred recently so yep. it's um I suppose it's not one of my worst well on our website but it's, but it's, I actually put up the chapter from Hugh's new book on peppering Nice. We have two on peppering. One that I put together from a lot of people, and then Hugh wrote a piece for his new book. Cool. And it'll also be in the resource manual of Biodynamics Agriculture Australia. Beautiful. I've I've actually just peppered, um, the last few months ago, peppered um, rats and and rabbits, but I uh, have yet to put out the peppers I didn't realize that I'd needed to so desperately. So I'll be really interested to see um, the sort of outcome of, of I get from that, and um, I'll keep you posted on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we have a lot of friends that are peppering around the world, and most of them are getting quite good results. You know, I mean that's the thing. I think you do have to pay attention to that um, calendar. You know, isn't it? It's Venus and Scorpio. Yes, for I burnt, mammals. I burnt them on the right time. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. So that was. Listen, uh, we had our our professor friend. He comes to the advanced courses in Georgia. He decided he'd pepper, and he took blowtorch with propane, you know, the butane. And we got to the, well, you know, you shouldn't leave a little carbon behind, you know. <laughs> I don't think that's what Steiner had in mind, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's so, the beat goes on. Yeah. Everybody's going to try something that works or doesn't work, you know. Yeah. Like, keep us posted. Write a letter for the... Biodynamic Agriculture Australia newsletter, if it ever comes out again, and uh, you know, 
And we'd love that. Yeah, we've got a uh, beautiful um, newsletter that... I know, I love that newsletter. With uh, our local group, Biodynamic. Who Flung the Dung. Yeah, Who Flung Dung. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Although since the new editor's there, I haven't received one, so... (laughs) Oh, well. But it's, I love it, Who Flung Dung. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, it's a great newsletter, great group. It's a model, I think... What do you all call your biodynamic group up there? BDFNQ. So it's, uh, it's great to have feedback from the likes of John Priestley and, yep. and, and Hughes also made comment on it. Of, and Shane uh, Joyce has come up there and talked yeah, too. Yeah, but, but their comments have always been that how um, such a great group it is and um, a lot of comment around the, the library and the resources that, yep. that are available there, um, the beautiful meals that um, people bring to share and uh, the energy that's created amongst us getting together. It's, yeah, it's, it's that, like, I think that's it. It's, it's like the community being, sense. It's like being part of a big family, and it's beautiful. I think also we were just moving out of the area when they opened the the, the co-op, the farmers, the biodynamic farmers um, store, and I think that did more to encourage people to grow than anything, because you have an out, you yeah, know. Yeah, an outlet, yeah. And has it grown in far as um, customers? And... Um, it seems to be... A little, but it's it is it is a little slow. Um, I guess people still are challenged by paying a, f- a little bit extra to to have that type of food, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, I, I think the other one is actually um, having f- f- committed uh, farmers to produce not just what they have in excess, but produce just for the co-op and and to uh, to have a system in place so they can. Um, be supporting them year round instead of just in dribs and drabs because that's part of their problem is what they can't source locally they have to buy from down south and there's extra costs on freight yep um, but isn't and, it very difficult I mean what we know is to grow vegetables in the summer up there it's just almost impossible isn't it it's well yeah I've got a my place has got a certain microclimate about it I'm a bit lower and a bit cooler um, the tablelands is a diverse uh, area where there's a, a lot of different climatic zones mm. in a very small space. So if, for a 45-minute um, um, trip, you can go from being on one side in the Millamilla where it's raining and drizzly and um, where the, the dairy um, farms are a lot of, um, across to Yungabara, where I live, is halfway to the drier, um, Tolga, and then through to Mariba, where Mariba's quite dry. And if they didn't have the water from from up around area um, supplying them for irrigation they really wouldn't be uh, doing much down there but they, they've got the sunlight and we've got the water so um, where I am I'm actually able to extend some of those leafy greens and stuff I was still selling kale to the to the co-op um, I've still got the kale that I grew last year still supplying it came back again so you know Hugh had kale in Tolga up to here yeah and he kept growing it and he wouldn't even let us eat it because he was trying to get seed and he never could get seed yeah, I just well. don't think it got cold enough for seed okay so um, I was still supplying the co-op with kale right up to nearly Christmas. So um, that was oh, wow. that was really nice to to know that actually everybody else had given up, but I was still supplying. So it's something that I'm um, going to be working on more this year, well, and, and, and especially you get my some greens. Seed because when you get that seed, then it'll be really set into your climate and your soil and everything. Yeah, that's a good point. I've actually. Um, haven't pursued that the, the kale. Oh, he will. There's several plants in our garden. I'm just not allowed to even pick one leaf. Why not? I thought this was for eating. No, this is for seed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm appreciative because slowly but surely you create a seed that's for that soil. For that, yeah. I don't mean you create it, but 
Yeah. You're involved in... And it's, it's just what you're talking about before about um, um, hemp. Um, I think some of the, the problems around that is actually uh, climatizing your seed. It, it's certainly mm-hmm. something that really needs to have, have happen. Um, three or four years of, of growing that to, to really um, get that seed right for your climate and your conditions. We do know recently, um, actually, he's a big dosa fan of mine. I'm known as the queen of doses now. And this guy's like a total dosa aficionado. And his family, he's the one that set up all the hemp growing, I mean, buying for this continent. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he's down in, in, in Malambimbi area. No, maybe Bangalore, probably. Nice. It's rich. <laughs> and so if you really get some hemp going, let us know and we'll connect you. Yeah, well, the biggest thing is is the change from the government to um, make it a bit more easier because up our way there's a lot of ex-Dan Mariba and Dimbula uh, irrigation areas, um, a lot of ex-tobacco farmers, and there's um, infrastructure there, irrigation systems, sprinklers and things lying around there everywhere, and there's a huge potential to um, to take on the hemp, you know, obviously. Um, Would that like... be for oil or for fibre? or? Well, I think there's a, a lot of different markets there. I mean... Um, as a natural building material, using as in hempcrete and mm-hmm. as in doing things around. Well, Dan Striver, <laughs> Striver could tell you about that. They were all real excited. You know how much hemp it takes to do a structure? A lot. A lot. A lot more than most people can even get their hands on. Yeah. Yeah. So. But I mean, um, it's, it seems to be a bit of a, um, a go on with, with, well, not so much a fad, but people are excited about doing cob building. And um, to me. Um, it's pretty the, wet up there for cob building. Yeah, but the fibre, if you're going to do that, like as in the pizza oven I just said recently, I used uh, guinea grass, but I thought to myself, um, the hemp fibre, you know, because of its nature, there would be a beautiful product. Is hemp like, because I was surprised to find out that um, to get linen, which is made from flax, and flax is actually not that much different as far as the stalk and the fibre of the hemp, do you know that it has to be fermented? No. Yeah, they actually throw all of the um, flax into these ponds that are full of bacterias that break down the fiber. Yeah, okay. Well, and if it didn't happen, they couldn't get the hemp. I mean, the, the flax couldn't get the fiber out to f- spin the flax. Yeah, well, I think... I wonder if it's the same for hemp. I think there'd be a little bit around that, and it'd be around the, uh, the inner core of cellulose that's yeah. would be in that, the, the core of the stalk, which would... Um, be needing to get used, but I think actually once they thrash it, that comes out with a thrashing process of of, of yeah. squashing it, and yeah. and that's that's released. But that's that's needed to get rid of. But um, there's a lady up at Ravenside. She does um, seed production for it, and she said that she had some seed there six to that grows plants six to eight meters tall. And um, I thought to myself, so that's for fiber. Then. Well, I'm not sure that she said that she. I know that she does a lot of seed, but um. um I'm not sure whether she'd be using that for a fiber product or whatever, but certainly as far as soil building goes, it seems to be very uh, exciting. You know that the, the Commonwealth was built on the back of hemp. Yeah. No rope, no navy. Yeah. And it's a, people like ICI and the petrochemical industries yeah. that came and took it over. That's right. As you'd know, there's a mechanical harvesting industry in America. Yeah. American Statue of Independence is written on hemp paper. Oh, I'm very aware. Because it's And the Constitution used hookberry ink. Uh-huh. Yeah, inkberry. Nice. Yeah. It's close to your heart, isn't it? Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and my limb system. And so, another story, another time. Yeah, so, uh, well, that's exciting. So, how much, have you figured out proportionally how much land you should actually grow hemp on to make it worthwhile? Um, I guess the licensing system is a bit restrictive for me to um, 
Julie go down there. I haven't got um, easy access to harvesting um, yep. machinery to, to go down that either. So um, at the present time, I'm just probably just backing off on that. I'd, I'd like to, to see it happen, but um, I'm not probably going to put too much energy into yep. that exactly at the time. But I just see there's a huge potential and it would be fantastic for it to go ahead. Yeah, I, I think there's also, from Hugh's going to be lecturing to a group of farmers in Canada, lovely group. I mean, Ontario, they must have 200 farmers, and a lot of them are growing heritage grains now. Yeah. You know, like micro patches of heritage grains so that they're really old seeds. And oh, Adam Collins is Adam's doing it too. He's doing it too. He's got a lot of um, different uh, rices and wheats. Yeah. Oh, and wheats too. Good. Yeah. Oh, good. So it's it's great to um to have, have someone like himself doing some that work up there and um, and developing the market again but the market's developing because of gmos yeah right. we've got some beautiful um groups of seed savers in in the tablelands as well there's um i was part of a friend starting one up in cairns that we've got um three or four groups up there in, in a in an hour's distance of each other so different climate conditions and and uh soils people are have different groups and and uh, sharing the seeds within the groups as well and and very supportive of um, working towards a, the greater good of what we're trying to do you know yeah. so um, that's beautiful to see so you know just outside of those heritage stuff with the grains you know you've got all your heritage vegetables which are uh, have got a an extended life now and and it's it's um, fantastic that people recognize the importance of that and and about sharing and that's the biggest thing that I actually uh, would would say that I, I enjoy out of being part of the the biodynamics and the seed savers and those sorts of groups is it's um the sharing that goes with it and and the love that's that's um shared along the way and it doesn't hurt to be an attractive single male in a group like that either well (laughs) sorry i don't seem to be um (laughs) wanting to look outside of that pubs and club scenes (laughs) that's right you have your own community that's right it's perfect you know well done yeah, I'm very impressed by Adam's work and, and coalescing that kind of community. It's beautiful. It's just so much more joyous. It makes farming joyous, yes. you know, in a way. So that's that's something I've really enjoyed doing is doing some workshops with Adam, talking um, at a few festivals. We go to uh, one near Cooktown every year. Oh, Wallab- wack, oh Wallaby Creek and, and um, get a, a, a following of new people that come along and listen to um, what that's we've got to say. That's where Rosa is. Up, she's in Lakeland. Oh, yeah. Rosa's papayas. Rosa's okay. papas. Yes. You she, trained her how to farm. Yeah, nice. Well, she supplies some beautiful produce to the, the best co-op. tasting. Oh. And she's got a great spot there where there's lots of sunshine That's, yeah. that's and, the, and the temperature because that's a big part of, of growing good pawpaws and yeah. papayas. Yeah. Um, I know. I had to figure out when I came. I said, what's a pawpaw? <laughs> <laughs> we actually well, have a tree in, in back in the Appalachians. It's called pawpaw. Okay, but but the, traditionally the up here they call the, the yellow ones the pawpaws and the, the red or the pink ones papaya. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. that's good. Well, I think it's time for us to end this wonderful interview because I know you want to go back to the lecture on plant jasters. It's going to happen in a few minutes. So I want to thank Wayne Rankin. This has been a wonderful, wonderful afternoon with Wayne. And we'll call you again in a year and interview you again. How about that? Beautiful. Well, so talking signing here. off for Quantum Agriculture. <laughs>